Welcome and thank you for connecting with us at Parkwood Baptist Church. Here at Parkwood, we exist to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. You can find more information about our church at parkwoodonline.org. By visiting our website, you will be able to learn more about Parkwood and our mission. Now join us as we grow together through the teaching of God's Word. and continue in our time of worship, we turn our hearts and minds to the Word of God. So I invite you to stand as I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not destroying, for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done and another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. Help us now to understand it and lead us to the right conclusion. To let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I trust that many of you share my heart that I am weary of the arrogance and pride that an election season brings, and particularly this one. It is good to come together with the people of God and to sing and remind ourselves of who Christ is and that He is King. Amen? That we can boast in Him. What we all must be aware of is that an environment of arrogance and comparison affect us. And that's what was happening at Corinth. So really we're asking a question today, how do we avoid arrogance and comparison as the people of God? Here's my main idea. When Christians recognize that the Lord alone commends them, they boast in Him alone. Now in this text, Paul is dealing with people who are opposing and accusing him and seeking to discredit his ministry in Corinth. He's writing to the Corinthian church. He is offering a defense, and he's offering reasons 
for his defense to seek to avoid difficulty and confusion and particularly to seek to avoid the gospel being thwarted in its work among them and through them. The first point we want to consider is that comparison and self-commendation result in conflict and arrogance. We're going to walk through this verse by verse to try to understand the argument. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. So all who are Christ, that is all who belong to Christ, are in Christ. So what does that mean? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does Paul mean right here from the onset? He means that there's no hierarchy or system within the church of those who are greater spiritually and those who are lesser spiritually. Now, he does not mean that there's not leadership or places of authority. He's going to deal with that. But what he's saying is that those who are in leadership and authority are not closer to God than the Christian believer who is not an authority. We are all in Christ who call on the name of Jesus for our salvation alone. So they were arguing that some of them were greater Christians than others. Paul says in verse 8, Even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. So you're what Paul is saying. My, My authority is not of my own. It has been given from the Lord. It's come from outside of me, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. I will not be ashamed. So he states the purpose for which the Lord gave him authority. It is not to tear people down or to destroy people. It is actually to build people up. Now here's the conundrum when you teach the Bible. This is in the paragraph just above it. How do you tear down strongholds? You tear them down with the Word of God. You take every thought captive. So sometimes when a teacher or a preacher, or sometimes when you're counseling somebody from the Word of God, they can take what you are saying to them as if you're destroying them. You're not destroying the person. You're tearing down the stronghold. You're speaking the truth. And as the Scripture says, you speak the truth in love. But the goal is not to destroy someone. The goal is to build them up. But sometimes the pathway is pain. I have a preacher friend who will say, if you can't say amen, then at least say ouch. That's those moments when the Bible stings, when it speaks into our hearts, sometimes in hard ways. Verse 9, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. So he's responding to an accusation by his opponents. Now this word frightening is only used here in the New Testament. It means to cause intense fear or or terror. So Paul does not want to be perceived as seeking to terrorize the Corinthians through his letters. Not not to scare them. 
Now he gets to the accusation in verse 10 as to how some people could draw that conclusion by the influence of these super apostles, these false teachers who have come into Corinth. Here's what they say. His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So often in dealing with what you say, someone will make an accusation about what you said, but really they're not talking about what you said. They're talking about the way you said it. Now that matters. So the Bible says, speak the truth in love. It matters. So I was recently talking with a young person who's grew up in this area, and I appreciated the boldness of, of his question. He looked at me and said, why do so many people hate you in Gaston County? I mean, I was kind of at least you're saying what a lot of people say, so let's talk about it. I said, for two reasons. Number one, unfortunately, um, the way I have said things in the past has hurt people. And I'm, I'm consciously aware of that, and I pray that I've continued to grow as a person and as a preacher that I don't do that. But I said, secondly, I think the number one reason people hate me is because I preach the truth. And do you hear what I'm owning? I'm owning that I've said things wrong. I'm owning that I've said things in ways that are not right. That's why I often offer a disclaimer when I'm preaching. Hey, what I'm about to say, get ready, because I know that's a moment when I'm about to be interpreted as being mean. His letters are weighty and strong, but, but... His bodily presence is weak. What he's getting to is the persona. Paul didn't carry himself like a person of authority. He didn't have a lot of charisma. He wasn't the guy who walked into the room and everybody said, hey, I want to follow him. And it says his speech is of no account. The Christian Standard Bible translates it this way. His public speaking amounts to nothing. So as a result... Here's their conclusion. How dare this man write in such an authoritative way? So why why does God work like this? Why does he take this guy with no public persona, who's not a very good public speaker, and use him in such a manner as he used Paul? It's because the treasure of the gospel is placed in earthen vessels. He's going to say this. This is where he's going. Chapter 12, verse 10. His power, God's power, is perfected in our what? Weakness. This is how God works. Now, before we go to verse 11, this is important. Paul's saying, though I may appear to be weak, you need to know this, I'm not afraid. And I'm not afraid of you. So let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Now, I've said some strong things to you, Corinthians, and when I come, if you haven't obeyed God, we're going to discuss it, and we're going to discuss it strongly. He assures them that the way he acts is going to correspond to what he says. Now, verse 12, he gets to the heart of the matter. What's going on is comparison and self-commendation by these false teachers. And they're basically saying, Paul, in his abilities, 
are not in our league at all. And here's what's ironic. Paul says, I know. Basically what he's saying. I know I'm not in your league, but I'm not going to use your comparison, so we're not even going to talk about it. Verse 12. Not that we dare to classify ourselves or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. Cutthroat competition. See, that's what went on. At this point in time, public speakers made their living by the number of followers and pupils they had. So you know how you got more followers and pupils? You talked bad about the other teachers and preachers in town. You told how bad they were and how, how horrible they were and how much better you were at them. Does this sound familiar to maybe what's... Anyway. <laughs> this is everywhere. As I often say, this is the air you're breathing in our society. This comparison, contrast, competitiveness, it's everywhere. I've referred several times to Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. It's a book on idolatry. One of the chapters is on power. And in that chapter on power, where he's talking, he gets to comparison and competitiveness, and he writes this paragraph, which stings me every time I read it. From the earliest years, an alliance of parents and schools create a pressure cooker of competition designed to produce students who excel in everything. Brooks calls this a massive organic apparatus, a mighty achievatron. Now listen to this sentence. The family is no longer what Christopher Lash once called a haven in a heartless world, a counterbalance to dog-eat-dog areas of life. Instead, the family has become the nursery where the craving for success is first cultivated. Now, parents and grandparents, I'm going to ask you to check yourself for a minute. You ever been to a preschool or soccer game? Here's what ought to happen in a preschool or soccer game. We ought to laugh till our stomach hurts. <laughs> We ought to look out there and, and watch how these kids are responding. And, and it ought to bring us to laughter. It ought to give us joy just to watch these kids out there having fun. Now, there's usually one super athlete. There's one kid who gets it and can kick the ball or dribble the ball or shoot the ball, and his dad's over there. My kid. But what are the rest of the parents who have clueless wonders who are just out there in the dust bowl kicking? yell at the rabbit and the grandparents who ought to be sipping their coffee and enjoying their grandchildren what are they doing what are we after success my kid to be better than your kid and we wonder why kids are so anxious and so so on edge we wonder why children are so unhappy the family, listen to me, the family and the church are to be a haven of rest. Now, somebody's going to write me a letter and say, you said competition's bad, did I? Anybody hear that? That's not what I said. And that is not what I mean. What I mean is a constant environment to where you are constantly competing has a negative effect on you as a follower of Jesus, and it particularly has a negative effect in the church. 
when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They don't understand. So what is it that they don't understand? What is it that they're, that they're clueless about? And I want you to remember, they lack understanding when I come to Jeremiah 9 at the end of the message. This lack of understanding should not be what identifies a Christian. We should evaluate our, our lives. We should evaluate our ministry together. We, could, we should evaluate the ministry of our leadership on a, on a separate standard than the world does. Paul suffered persecution, imprisonment. Jesus, our king, suffered. Those who follow him should, should look like him. But that's not what we're looking at now. That's not, not the way modern ministry looks. It looks very much like the Corinthians wanted it to look. So Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, considering this entire paragraph here, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In other words, we use comparison to determine whether we like Jesus Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, the old is past, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, and through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, was, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what right understanding is. Right understanding is I am a new creation in Christ. I now have the righteousness of Christ. I now have the responsibility of Christ. He has made me an ambassador. And I don't determine whether or not I fulfill or carry that out in my life based on comparison with you. You could say maybe it's because I'm getting old and crusty, but I, I pray that it's because I've grown in my understanding of Scripture. I quit comparing myself to other preachers a long time ago. That, that was destroying me. It was making my preaching horrible because I was trying to copy people. Finally, one day, I knew this. Finally, one day, I just came to this realization the rest of my life was about faithfulness, not comparison, not how many people showed up. Listen, that's your Christian life, brothers and sisters. How could this get real here? It could get real. We could get growth groups comparing each other. How many growth group people you got? I don't go to that growth group because I like this guy better than this group. What? What? Here's how you determine what growth group you're in. Are you growing in Christ? Are you encouraging others to grow in Christ? And are you on the mission for God together? That's how you determine. So how do we get our minds straight? Recognizing the Lord alone commends us results in boasting in Him alone. We will not boast beyond limits. We will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. We are not overextending ourselves 
as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel. There's a couple of things we want to see here. Paul saw his ministry from God's hand, the area of influence God assigned to us. So Paul is an apostle. He's a missionary, if you will, because God assigned him the task. And God has given Paul authority among the Corinthians because Paul was among the first, the team, to bring the gospel to them. We were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel. Now, the ministry of the gospel here is the core issue. It's the core issue for Paul. Now, he's trying to deal with these super apostles because they're having a negative impact on the ministry of the gospel. He says, verse 15, We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. So Paul desired for the Corinthians to stabilize among themselves that their faith would grow, that it would increase. Now, here's what happens, and thank God I, I don't sense or see this among us. I'm not preaching to something negative, but it could happen. Brothers and sisters, when a, when a church gets at odds with each other, when it starts internally comparing and uh, doing competition and being ugly with each other, whatever shape, fashion, or form, you lose what God has designed you to be. He's designed you to be a place to where the people of God are growing in their faith, where we are all carrying out the ministry that God has assigned to us together as the body of Christ so that we are growing because when we, the members of this local church, are growing, as our faith increases, our influence increases here in Gaston County and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul's desire is that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. You say, what, 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 what's the logic here? The logic is, if I have to keep writing, if we get to letter 15 and visit number 10, because you people keep disobeying God, then I can't get further west with the gospel. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Here's the simplicity. Healthy, growing churches reach beyond themselves and their immediate community. They do. That's why in two weeks, we again are going to host what we're calling this time a global summit. So why are we doing this? So we can come together to pray, to hear from people who are on the front lines so we can further pray and how we can determine how we can prepare ourselves for going with the gospel to all peoples. Making the gospel known is the expected focus of every believer. We are ambassadors for Christ. Now, how do you do that? Verse 17. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word boast here means to glory in, to give verbal praise, to open your mouth. So the object of our boasting is the Lord. It's not gifted individuals. All our confidence, our boasting is in light of what God has done in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.10 By 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. That's why Paul says in verse 18, it is not the one who commends himself as approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So the right source of approval and commendation leads to this right boasting, this right verbal praise. So where does our commendation come from as a Christian? Turn all the way back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians. The same phrase is in verse 17, is in verse 31. But that's the end of a sentence that Paul writes. So let's read the entire sentence. And it answers where our commendation comes from. Because of him, because of Christ, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, in Christ, all of these things are applied to us. The wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the sanctification of God, the redemption that is in Christ. These things are applied to us in Christ, so we boast. We give verbal praise in the Lord. So here's my question. Are we boasting in the Lord? Now we go to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jake read earlier. Jeremiah chapter 9, thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. This is written thousands of years ago and is still dealing with the three core issues that people are bragging about. How smart they are, how powerful they are, and how wealthy they are. What are people after? They're after more smarts, more wisdom, more power, more money. He says, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. So the boast is not that I lack understanding, that I'm outside of understanding, but that I understand and know God. And that is only through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we know that he is the Lord who practices steadfast love, his grace, this love that never ceases, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. He delights in those things in himself and he delights in in those things in his people, those who are in Christ. It's a quote. The competitiveness and love of advancement in spheres such as business, sports, and academia can fuel an atmosphere of classification and evaluation that can dull ministry spiritually. It transforms the wine of ministry into the water of a talent contest. The exaltation of public ministers or individuals or ministries within the church lead to pedestals of fame and influence that actually prove harmful both to the minister and to those who receive their ministry. Don't believe it? This book was written in 2012 by Paul David Tripp. It's a a wonderful book. It was very helpful in my life. It's called Dangerous Calling. It is specifically dealing with the office of pastor and the dangers of your heart in it. On the back of this book, as we do, (laughs) it's so funny because it's one of the things he's getting to is what I'm preaching at in the book. 
we have five famous pastors who wrote. Three of them are no longer in the ministry. Two of them, because of the power that they were exuding within their churches, were released from their church. One of them has abandoned the faith altogether. Who actually wrote a book on theology just prior. Why'd this happen? Because when you put a man up on a pedestal, you know what he starts to believe? He believes he's on a pedestal. And what does that do to his heart? It not only damages it, over time it corrupts it. Brothers and sisters, we are servants of Christ. His power is perfected in what? Weakness, not power. And we are all susceptible to moving down this pathway. And I believe this. If a power grab ever ensues at Parkwood and she gives in to it, she's done. I believe this is one of the core issues of why churches are dying all across America. It's because preachers and parishioners vie for power and God says, go ahead. I'll extend my gospel somewhere else. And he does it among a people who realize they are in Christ and that their boast is not in themselves, it's in Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Holy Word, for confronting me, and for confronting us today. May we take every thought captive. May You destroy every stronghold in our hearts individually and in our hearts collectively that would keep us from boasting in the Lord. Thank you today that my heart has been comforted to come together with these men and women and to hear them already do so, to boast in Christ. Thank you that this has been a place of refuge for many years. And I pray that you would keep our hearts attuned to you, that this might continue to be that kind of place until Jesus comes. So now may we give ourselves to heed what your scripture says. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.